Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Great to be with you. How's everyone doing? What a good looking bunch of people you are. I love that there's a couple of people like, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Receive it. Yeah, that's good. All right. Let's, it's a blessing. That's good. Let's, uh, let's read from the scriptures together this evening. We're reading from Numbers chapter 6 tonight. If you want to move with me, we're starting at verse 22. By the way, if you haven't met me before, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Nice to meet you. Hi, Tom. Hi, Church Online. Verse 22, geez, the 4 p.m. service is always a little bit looser. It's all right. It's good stuff. How's the energy in the room? You feeling good, church? Good, good. God's got a word for you tonight. It's going to be great. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is God's word. How many people here know they live under a curse? How many people walk around daily going, yes, I'm a cursed person? Anyone? 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 Not a whole heap. Right. Very few of us live that way, thinking that way and believing that about ourselves. I'll tell you who do think that way. Sports fans. A lot of sports fans think they're cursed because sports fans are not innately rational people. Just ask any Crows fan before like the 15th of August how rational they were feeling. <laughs> and in fact, it might be less rational now. I don't know if some of them are going three wins in a row though, premiership next year. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what rationality looks like in a sports fan. And so when we think about it in terms of curses, it doesn't get any better than baseball. You think about the Boston Red Sox, storied franchise, but for 86 years they did not win the World Series. In fact, in the 1900s, in the 1910s, they won four World Series, 1912, 15, 16, 18. Then they made an interesting decision. They decided that this little-known player called Babe Ruth, they were going to sell him to another team called the New York Yankees, which is really like if the Crows said, what if we took like the best version of Rashudo and McLeod and like, um, I can't even remember who plays these days, but <laughs> the good guy. <laughs> and we gave them all to Port and just said, go for it, good luck. And you're not going to believe this, but the Yankees went on a streak of winning World Series. They won another four with Babe Ruth and then another 22 after that before the Red Sox won once. And the Red Sox fan called it the curse of the Bambino. That's what they called Babe Ruth, the curse of the Bambino. I love that. But that's got nothing on the Chicago Cubs. See, the Chicago Cubs fans have went, went for 108 years without a World Series victory. Now, you've got to remember, Boston, Chicago, these are some of the biggest cities in the world. They're not lacking resources. They're not lacking an opportunity, right? But the Chicago Cubs went for 108 years without a World Series win. This is what happened. They won in 1908, then they kept getting close and had a few efforts, good seasons, bad seasons, weren't quite getting there. They got to 1945 and they're in the World Series. In fact, they're leading the World Series two games to one. They're at Wrigley Field, the home of the Cubs, and William Sianis buys two tickets 
And he turns up and he gets to his seat with his plus one and they're sitting down in their seat and everything seems fine except for one problem. Willemsianus' plus one was a goat. And I don't mean that in a figure of speech like greatest of all time. I mean a literal goat. He went to a World Series game and he bought a ticket for his pet goat. And at some point, the other people around him went, your goat stinks. Get your goat out of the World Series. So we're trying to watch the baseball. He wouldn't. Had to be escorted out. And he turned and he placed a curse on the Cubs. And he said, you'll never win a World Series while I'm alive. And they didn't. And they didn't win a World Series for another 40 years until 2016. So there are curses, or at least in the world of sports. But if there are curse makers, there have to be curse breakers. Enter Theo Epstein. 28 years old, was appointed the manager of the Boston Red Sox. When he was appointed, had no interest in what's going on. That's one of the beauties of being young. You have almost no interest in history. Keith, I see you over there with that hand raised. I know you do. But... (laughs) For most young people, they don't. And it's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is if you feel like there's a curse, you can just ignore it. You can go, don't worry about it. That's not going to affect me. And so he took over the Red Sox two years later, led them to the World Series where they won their first World Series title in 86 years. And then two years, then uh, what was it? Three years later, did it again. Four years after that, he got sick of it. He decided he needed a new challenge. This team was too good. So what did he do? He went to the Cubs, and he became the president of baseball operations of the Cubs in 2011. Five years later, wins a World Series there. Theo Epstein breaks the curses. So if you've got any problem with your sports team, maybe invite Theo along, and he'll, he'll break the curse for you. I know as a North Melbourne fan, that's what I am looking at <laughs> at this particular moment in time. But maybe the most famous curse in popular culture is in Romeo and Juliet. Now, go back to your English lit classes in high school where they forced you to read Shakespeare and you pretended like you could understand it. And Mercutio, Romeo's best friend, at the moment of his death, he turns to the two protagonist families, the Montagues and the Capulets, and he screams, a plague on both your houses. In, in death, he curses the activities and behaviours that caused him downfall. That's the curse that he placed on their houses. And ultimately, of course, Romeo and Juliet, you may have heard, is a tragedy. It doesn't go so well for the families. There is something in the nature of curses. Now, I want to talk about blessings and curses tonight. And it's going to be something that you will be surprised at how personally impactful this is for you. This might be something that you are tempted to switch off on. I get that. As mature intelligent, free-thinking adults, I'm sure none of you believe that you live under blessing or curses. Let me just ask you something, though. Has anybody ever said or done anything to you that has impacted your future? As in, you've been living a certain way, thinking a certain way, and then someone has come in and said something, and it's just knocked you off course. How about this? Has a teacher ever critiqued you in a way that undermined your confidence or self-belief in your own intelligence? What about uh, a coach who's discouraged you from pursuing a sport or, or a recreation that they've just said you don't have what it takes and they've said it at such a young age that you're like, well, you, you can't really mean that, but it's stuck. It just stuck and you never chased it again. What about a romantic interest that you pursued and they fobbed you off in a way that caused you to consider your own self-worth? What about a parent that ever snapped at you in a way that made you feel less of a human being? Has this ever happened to you? Of course it has. It's happened to all of us. This is what happens, that in our life, again and again, people say and do things, and we say and do things, that intentionally or unintentionally become curses and blessings over our lives. 
And we have to be very conscious of the power of our words and our actions and what's happening in the spiritual realm. So I want to take us down a bit of a journey spiritually and practically about what this means tonight. Before I do that, though, there is one thing that's even worse than all of that. It's all very well when other people tell you how bad you are, but there's a voice that's even louder and more profound and more damaging, and that's the voice inside ourselves when no one else is around, isn't it? When we look in the mirror, and no matter what anybody else tells us, we struggle to believe words of life over us. Tonight we will. Tonight we will. So I want to declare blessings over you tonight. I want to declare blessings over your life, over your generations and the generations to come. There is something about the power of blessing. And God wants to set you free from curses. So tonight we're going to do that. We're going to have some ministry time tonight and see you set free from any curse that might be upon your life and upon your family. So what do we mean by this? Before everyone's like, this sounds terrifying. (laughs) What do I mean by blessings? Because when I say this, I don't mean it in the way we trivialize it culturally. Like when somebody sneezes and you say, bless you, I'm not imagining that you are standing like Moses above them with two hands outstretched saying, a blessing be upon you, my child. No, that's a figure of speech. Likewise, when somebody does something adorable, we're like, oh, bless. You know, again, very rarely are people saying, and a blessing be upon you, my child. You know, that's a different kind of thing. I also don't mean financial or material gain. There is a form of Christian teaching that says that God wants to bless you financially. And I need you to hear this, church. This is not explicitly true. At best, it's unhelpful. At worst, it's outright heresy. At worst, it's a prosperity gospel that says, if you're rich, God loves you. And if you're poor, he doesn't. And in fact, what we see in the testimony of the gospels in the New Testament is that if anything, God has a particular preference for the poor and in lifting up those out of poverty and seeing them have freedom and life in Jesus' name. So that is not what we're talking about. I don't mean material and financial blessing. What do I mean? Well, as John Tyson puts it, to pray a blessing over somebody is to desire God's favor and goodness and purpose to be the crowning reality of a person's life. Let me say that one more time. A blessing, to pray a blessing over somebody, is to desire God's favor, goodness, and purpose to be the crowning reality over somebody's life. That's your desire for them. When you pray, that is the outcome you desire. Just, let's just think about that for a second in the way we sometimes pray, which is, God, would you help that person to come around to my way of thinking? God, would you help that person to behave in a way that I would prefer? That's not what we're talking about. We're praying, God, your blessing, your favor, your outcomes on this person's life. It's a prayer that takes it out of our hands, but places back in God's for somebody else. It is a selfless act. So that's blessings. What about curses, you may be wondering? Well, curses in the biblical tradition have to do with rejecting the plan and purpose of God for our lives. Our resistance to that plan produces God's sorrow and displeasure, and in us it produces dysfunction and destruction. Dysfunction and destruction. And one big way we see this play out both in our lives and in the biblical tradition is in families, in generational transfer, the passing of curses from parents to children. Now, I think there is probably something spiritual in this, but that's not explicitly what I'm talking about here. Even if you're not... Up, up with that and you're not comfortable with talking about that as a spiritual ideal, there is no doubt that there is a nature and nurture aspect 
that we pass down, I'm a parent, that we pass down as parents to kids. Most parents are out there just doing their best, and most parents know perfectly well that their best is nowhere near where they would like it to be. That is one of the, the realities of being a parent. You're striving to do something well, knowing you're falling short, and knowing that just doing your best is the very best you can. That's why we rely on God. So generational transfer is the dysfunction and brokenness that parents pass down to us and we pass down to our children, which means that every single one of you is wrestling with dysfunction and baggage from your family history. You may not even know it. It may be something that's just started to stir up in you. It may be that you are finding in yourself rebellious thoughts or anger or or issues that you're dealing with you've never known before, and it's because somewhere in your distant past, generation after generation of your family has been stuck in a pattern of brokenness and dysfunction. Maybe it's a family history of divorce that's caused you to question whether you could ever actually have a relationship that will last. Maybe it is a pattern of addiction, addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs, even just addiction to relationships and the emotional highs we get from that. Maybe it's a poverty cycle. That is a real thing that people get trapped in that perhaps we're more familiar with. That is a generational curse. It's a generational transfer. Ask somebody caught in the poverty cycle whether they feel a bit cursed, honestly. But most likely, it is simple behaviours and ways of speaking that stem from our own insecurities. That's where we get stuck, in our own insecurities. It's in our families that we're most frequently blessed and cursed. And in Scripture, we see that again and again. In fact, we go back early on in the Scripture, like Genesis 3 early. We see the impact of curses in our lives. The serpent deceives Eve and she and Adam take an apple from the garden. And we read that God curses the serpent, curses the serpent, and says to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you, and you will be forced to eat from it by means of painful labor. From there, we go out of the garden. Like, literally, we go out of the garden, and we see Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother, and God says in Genesis 4 that you will be, you are, rather, you are cursed because of what you have done. It does not take humanity long to step into a cycle of curses. But where we step in with curses, God steps in with blessing. We step in with curses. God steps in with covenant. He calls the people to himself. He calls Abraham. He finds a way to give a generational blessing instead of a generational transfer. He calls Abraham and he covenants with him. He says, I will be your God in the Abrahamic covenant. Then he calls Moses. He says, Moses, you will be my holy people. I'm calling you to myself. The people of Israel will be my people. Then he calls David and he covenants with him. And he says, your line will reign forever. These are unbroken divine promises from God to us. This is his way of countering the dysfunction and curses we bring on ourselves and on our own lives. God brings covenant as we bring curse. So in all this, you might be asking yourself, okay, what does it look like for me to look, live under a curse? Let me give a few examples. And I, I said this to people this morning. I, I want you to hear these examples, and I want you to filter them to consider if they are impactful for you. And if they are not, don't take them too seriously. Because we can do a thing where we listen to what people say, and especially somebody up here with authority and a microphone, and we can say, yes, all of this relates to me. That won't be the case. They won't all relate to you. If something relates to you, that's something to process with God. If it doesn't, just let it go. Don't let this try and stick to you, okay? This is important. This is important stuff. I wonder how many of you are studying something because you felt pressured to study. 
or it's something that really your parents wanted you to study. You never really wanted to study it, but you just felt kind of pressured to do that. You wanted to do something else, in fact, but you just felt like, ah, oh, I should do that. And now you're under this pressure to perform. I wonder how many of you are desperately trying to impress parents or spouses who are just refusing to reciprocate. And worse, if one of them has passed away, you are now just trying to impress a memory. I wonder, are you a high achiever because somebody once told you that you didn't have what it takes? And so you chase down your desired profession and you're killing it in it. Maybe you're, just, you're in university right now, but you're at the top of your game and you think you're doing great, but underneath you are brittle and fragile. You are anxious. Any kind of critique throws you off balance. Your professional life seems good, but your social life is being undermined constantly by your choices and behaviors and patterns. What about if you make poor relationship decisions? Maybe you have attachment or dependency issues because once somebody said or maybe just implied that you are unlovable and it's driven you to bad relationship choice after bad relationship choice and you are trapped in that cycle. Or maybe, maybe just really simply, you are filled with fear because every now and then you say something and people go, you sound just like your mother. For some of you, that might land a little bit heavy. For my wife, who is sitting in the front row with her mother, she's trying to keep a straight face. (laughs) Not untrue, but in a positive way. Because, of course, our families give us blessing as well as curse. Now, here's the thing. We spend our lives longing for blessing. Whether you realize it or not, all of us are looking for affirmation. The human desire to be loved is one of the great driving forces in life. You cannot avoid it. If you think you're avoiding it, you are trying to put up an insecure defense mechanism around yourself. You need to hear that. The human desire to be loved is simply there. You can't avoid it. These are the kind of things we long long for. The approval of our fathers. The love and affection of our mothers. The affirmation of a boss or an employer or an authority figure. Financial stability. Sexual fulfillment. A leadership role that makes us feel valued and filled with purpose, but we work and strive for blessing. We are striving so hard for it that we miss it because it doesn't work. If we're striving and working for blessing, we're not working for blessing, we're working for approval. But the way that our economy works is that we work and then we're financially rewarded. And the more financially rewarded we are, the more other people tell us, you're doing great. And this becomes the cycle of blessing. This is what blessing looks like in the West. If you have a good job, if you have a good family, if you have the right amount of money, if you have the right degree, if you went to the right school, then you are blessed because you are striven and you've earned it and you've got it. But if you don't, away with you into the darkness with gnashing of teeth. This is how we describe it in our own lives without even realizing it. But God describes it in an entirely different way. The Christian mindset of blessing and curse is entirely different. The Christian mindset of blessing is not something we work for, but from. We go back before Genesis 3, back to Genesis 1. God designed man in his image and he looked upon man and said, this is good. And he looked upon man and woman and he blessed them. Blessed them. Before there was any curse, there was a blessing. He blessed them and sent them with purpose and said, go and be fruitful. God made us in his image. He blessed us and then he sent us with purpose. 
All of that comes before any curse does. And it's so important we live in that space because when we do that, we're living from blessing, not for it, which means you're not working to earn the approval of an angry God, but you're working in the love of a generous and gracious God. It's an entirely different mindset. That's God's intention for your life and mine, not a curse, but a blessing. So because God gave his blessing freely without any conditions, and we work from his blessing, not for it, what if that means we can suddenly look on the curse less as a punishment from God, and instead we look at the blessing as a way of life, the blessing is the way of life offered by God for us to live in, right? So the curse is the choices we make to step out of the blessing rather than an angry God cursing us out of spite and fear. And I, I don't know if that's a mentality you've ever had about God. You wrestle with an image of God as an angry God. God is a loving God. He's a just God, but he's a loving God. God longs to bless us. We step out of that blessing again and again and again. So what if the curse is more of a natural result of our refusal to receive the blessing of God? What if the blessing is as simple as saying yes to God's pathway for your life? What if it is? What would your life look like, church, if you weren't trying so hard to prove yourself? So how can we begin to practically build blessings in other people's lives? If you're the note-taking type, now's the time. Let me give you four quick ways we can begin to build blessings in someone's life. Number one, you can bless them through words. That's the, really the most obvious one and the one that is the most impactful. Words, the book of Proverbs tells us, had the power to bless and to curse. The tongue has an incredible power. You want to be very careful what we say. This is what the book of James says. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Your words are deeply important. And what you say can project curses into people's life. I've seen people project curses into people's life just by hesitating before answering a question. Like, do do you think I look bad? No. Right? Like, try that with your loved ones sometimes. See how that goes for you. (laughs) Even if you don't believe in a curse, in the idea of curses, there's no discounting the idea that the way we speak over people and the way they speak over us then affects how we live our life. There's just no discounting that, church. So that's the first one. And, And we hear it in Counter. I say it again and again. We say believe the best in people. What does that mean? That means if somebody comes up to you and says something that you could take as a curse, just let it go by. Just go, no, 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 no. Like, that's not a blessing. If somebody says, ah, weird outfit, it's probably not a blessing. But you don't have to take it as a curse either. You can just go, ah, it's all right. It's not going to affect me. I'm not going to take that on. I'm going to believe the best in you. I don't know what you're thinking about. I don't know what you're going through. So bless people by saying words of life. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Bless people by noticing them. Um, Jordan mentioned this when he preached the other week. He did a great job, by the way, buddy. And, um, but we, we do this thing where we, we get caught in our, in our circles at church, and so we avoid noticing other people. And we end up in these default... Me too, right? I'm always in the same spot every week. We end up in these default places in church, and they become our chairs by default. Don't, don't ever get too attached to your chairs at Encounter. I'll just throw them out one week, and we can sit on the floor. Like, I, we ain't going for that. When I'm, when I'm putting... Plaques on pews here. That's never happening. For starters, it's a rental. Like, that goes down really badly. <laughs> but simply acknowledging the humanity of somebody else is a game changer. 
To go up to somebody you don't know and introduce yourself and begin to befriend them is an acknowledgement of the likeness of God on them. And when you do that, you lift them up. You are actually seeing something in them. For you guys here, this is a church largely of young adults, but it shouldn't be. But the more we think we are a church largely of young adults, the more people who aren't in that age and stage go, oh, I don't know if I'm welcome here. Do you know why? Because you don't go and talk to them. You don't. So let's do it. Let's break that. What have you got to lose? Honestly, what have you got to lose? Like, if somebody's your parents' age and you go up and talk to them, they're not your parent. They're not going to say, like, stand up straight or something, you know? <laughs> that would be a weird way to respond to, hello, my name's Mike, you know? Like, what have you got to lose? Just go and welcome somebody. Go and introduce yourself. We have so many people here who are new. Go and acknowledge their humanity. Meet somebody. That's the second one. Jesus, right, does this. Who, who would have thought? Notices Zacchaeus in the tree. Before he speaks to him, before he forgives him, before he invites himself over for dinner, he notices him. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He notices him. There's something about that, okay? Here's the third one. Empowerment, blessing through empowerment. So blessing through words, blessing through noticing, blessing through empowerment. Most of us have been blessed by empowerment one way or another. Most of the joy we have experienced came because people extended themselves to speak words of life into you at a particular moment. So I, I use this this morning, but right, it's, it's not... Somebody had to give Lucy an opportunity to be on the platform, right? Now, she's really good at it. Anybody can see that. But she probably wasn't good at it the first time she ever spoke into a microphone. Somebody had to look at, at this young woman and go, I see something in you, and I'm going to step aside so that you can step up. This is what Jesus did. It's, it's called the principle of kenosis. We read about in Philippians 2 that Jesus empties himself of his power and authority and steps down to be with us. It's an act of love and humility. So there might be a moment where you need to empower somebody. Maybe you're in a, 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 like, even you can be empowering someone in a friendship group. Let me throw that out there. You can be, like, the top dog in a friendship group, and, and you know if you are, quietly. Like, you know that if you are in those social circles and you're the one, like, holding the conversation together, you know who you are. That can be a blessing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it can be arrogance, or you can say, I'm going to step out, create space, empower someone else to come in. Yeah. Use it for a blessing. God hasn't made you charismatic to be egotistical. He's made it so you can include others through your magnetism. You know who you are. So magnetic, Jeremy. I love it. Here's the final one, point number four. You can bless people through your spiritual gifts. Because when you work in the Spirit of God and you're exercising your spiritual gifts, you are becoming the body of Christ to one another, which means that you are becoming Jesus to one another in a more effective way. And when you use the spiritual gifts, you're exercising things like discernment, prophecy, the gift of wisdom, things like that. You are calling out potential in others that isn't evident immediately. Right, so what I said about Lucy before, if you go up to Lucy and go, ah, oh, you're great at public speaking, that's a compliment, but it, you're not calling that out prophetically. It's something you saw on stage, right? But if you then speak to somebody and you go, I see something in you through the Spirit of God, that calls out a potential they don't even know they have. Uh, this is one of my favorite things about being a pastor. 
Like, I, and, and I, I get to see it, and then and suddenly something shifts, and, and I get to just name it. So I did it this morning. I'll embarrass somebody different today. Jacob, you're sitting, you're sitting side stage. Jacob, Jacob's like a son in the face to me, and I just love him so dearly. But that, that's not prophetic. That's just history. <laughs> something has shifted in him in the last year where he's gone from faithful servant to leader and leader of leaders. And there is actually a gift of gathering and leadership over his life. It's over your life, my brother, that God has stepped you into. And it's something that's happening quickly, and it's going to happen even faster. But because you spent the time before this digging deep into, into your roots and making sure that you were grounded as a follower of Jesus, first and foremost, grounding yourself in humility, you're going to be fine because the roots go down deep. But that's a gift on your life. I'll just call that out. Where's Cameron? Yeah, there he is. I just sensed the Lord saying this beforehand. Like, look, Cam's one of those magnetic people, right? It's okay. But um, it's, it's, it's great. It's not okay. It's great. It's good. You're great. But I, I, it's not just magnetism. It's the Spirit of God. You're, you're a leader. You're, you're naturally somebody that God is calling out. And, and the words I got from you were, come, come out from outside the drums, right? And in one sense, you're doing that. You're, you're leading our youth group, you and Jim, our youth coordinators who we love and, and just are believing in. But I just sense God saying that specifically for you tonight. Come out from outside the drums. Step into that leadership space. Even now, in here, this is your home, you're a culture setter, you're a leader in this space. So we just honour you and affirm that in you. So that's what God's saying to you, I believe, this evening. And this is, this is just not stuff. This is just me trying to step out in the spiritual gifts, right? Like, again, if I go to Lucy, Lucy, good public speaker, true, but just affirming something we've seen in the physical. This is something we're trying to see in the spiritual, that maybe God in his grace is, is helping us see potential in people. Yes. When we do that, that's when the kingdom of God begins to break and empower. That's when people get released. That's when people get empowered and lifted up. You would be amazed what the church can look like when you exercise your spiritual gifts. In fact, it's the entire purpose of exercising your spiritual gifts. So we better do it. Okay. As I start to come towards a close... Start to. <laughs> Going back to Genesis, right towards the start, why do we see that the ground is cursed? Okay, it says it right here. Genesis 3.17 says this, because you listened to your wife. It says it, I'm just saying. That's not what I'm talking about, but it does say that. The next bit. You ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. Does anybody else hear that as a particularly mixed message? You ate from the tree, and I told you not to eat from it. No, it's not a mixed message. That wasn't a trick question. It's not a mixed message. God said, don't do this, and we did it. The temptation, though, is we hear this idea, and we go, oh, so God's just some sort of tyrant who's trying to put limitations on my life. I mean, there's a whole other sermon around limitations. But let's just take this idea, right? We sometimes will hear this, and we go, God is trying to command us to do things that are going to bring me joy. God's trying to command us not to do these things, to step away from blessing. We don't trust that God's plan is a plan of goodness. We don't trust that God's plan is a plan of blessing. But 
if we step into a different position where we start to trust God's goodness first, we see things through a different lens. See, if we do that, if we default to the idea that God's desire and purpose is to bless us, then when we read this passage in Genesis, we realize that God is just saying, trust me, trust me. I give you everything. One idea though, don't eat from that tree. Everything else is yours. Go and be fruitful. Adam and Eve were like, that one tree though. And God's saying, just, just trust me. Trust me. Rest in my presence. Trust my plan. Let's move forward together. But we step out because we don't do it. We just look at the tree and we're like, I want that. I want this immediate short-term gratification more than I want God's long-term blessing. Go and read up about Esau when you get home. I want God's short-term plan. I want my short-term needs over my long-term gratifications. How many of us know that our short-term desires lie to us all the time, right? Who's been to KFC before? Yeah, right? Our short-term desires are like delicious. The next morning we go... Maybe not. <laughs> this is, this is, that's a small, jokey version of something that is so true. Because again and again, we choose cursing in our life. We step out. We go, I know that God doesn't want us to do this, but it feels good in this moment. And the amount of brokenness that comes from that, take it from an adopted kid, that a lot of brokenness can come from one moment. And take it from an adopted kid that God in his grace can turn it for good. But there's so much dysfunction that comes from one moment of brokenness. We stray from God's path for us on purpose. And we run headlong towards cursing our own lives all the time. But when we trust God, we realize that the curse we try and take on is sin. That's all. It's just sin. It's rejecting God's plan and attempting to create one with us in the God position, us in the center. See, it's a trust problem. God says, don't eat from the tree. We say no. So we ourselves throw ourselves into this curse, throw ourselves into this stupid rebellion because we don't trust God. Now, you might be saying, Mike, why should I trust God? I should just naively assume that God's got the best intentions for my, my life. My intentions seem pretty good. Okay, all right. I, I think if we had a longer talk, you might reframe that idea, but... Here's what I want you to see. I don't want you to naively trust me that God wants to bless you. I want you to see that God has already done it. In fact, God loves you and wants to bless you so much, he has taken the curse on himself. This is what we read in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, that covenant that God provided, would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus, the one human being who never sinned, the one who never strayed out of God's blessing, is the one who is strung up on a tree like a cursed man. Knowing what would happen, he allowed himself to be led to his crucifixion like a lamb to the slaughter so that he could take our curse on himself in order to give us his blessing. Jesus is the real curse reverser. Forget Theo Epstein, it's Jesus. He brought blessing to you by taking the curse of sin on himself so you and I don't live under a spiritual curse. We live under a spiritual blessing. Yeah. 
And Paul puts it like this at the start of the letter of the Ephesians. <coughs> he says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He chose us. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished, lavished on us in the beloved one. So don't live under a curse. Choose to live under God's blessings. Right, now I am coming to a close. It's one thing to say, don't live under a curse, live under a blessing. It's another to actually do it. So let me give you some suggestions on how you can do that. Have you ever heard the phrase, I'm my own worst critic? I'm my own worst enemy? It's true for most of us. And God wants to set you free from this curse in your life. Here's how you can do it. You're going to fix your I am statements. The name of God, the Jewish name, the Hebrew name, Jehovah, means I am who I am. Sometimes in, 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 we call God the great I am. So when we talk about I am, we need to talk about God in the I am position. This is how Jesus got in trouble a lot, by the way, by putting himself in that position. And what we do all the time is we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I am not enough. I am not lovable. I am not worthy. I am, I am, I am. And we bring ourselves down with our I ams. Inherited curses from others or lies we tell ourselves. But when we place Jesus and his I am over the top of ours, it's different. Because instead of saying I am, we say God says I am. Not I am. God says I am because the promises have been given to us as a gift. Let me give you a practical example. This is not meant to be like a Mike Sob story. This is a practical example of how I have to do this. So one of the things that I have is I have been diagnosed, this is years ago, right, with depression, which means that if I want to, and on a bad day, I can look in the mirror and go, Mike, you're depressed. You have depression. What are, you, what are you even doing? And you start to go down. Anyone familiar with this? Is It becomes a spiral. It becomes a deep hole you go into. But what I can do instead is say, no, 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 it's not that I am depressed. I don't take that label on myself. I don't own that. Because God says I am renewed. Yeah. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Yeah. I have to do that again and again and again. Yeah. I'm not depressed. I'm renewed in Jesus' name. And that's greater than that. Here's a second one. I could say one of the things I struggle with is, is failure. I sometimes look at myself and go, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm, not, I'm just not enough. And God says, no, 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 no. You're a victor because in Christ you have the victory. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not a failure. You are a victor. Here's another one. I'm an adopted kid. I actually don't wrestle with this one, but I could. And I know other adopted kids who do. To go unwanted. I could have the label unwanted. That would be really easy. But I live under the label adopted. Because again and again, as I read through the scriptures, I read that we are adopted intentionally into God's family. This is what Romans 8.15 says. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. 
Don't say I am and speak curses over yourself. Remind yourself who the I am says you are. Stand under God's I am, not under your I am. That's how you'll live under blessing and not under curses. You're going to have to renew this again and again and again. You're going to have to do this constantly because the powers of, of this generational transfer is strong. And I want to let you know this is not just like a spirity thing. This is a thing that if you find something in yourself that has been a generational curse, you're going to have to do the work to find out where it came from how it's affecting you, how it plays out in your life, and then practically go about putting strategies in place to eliminate that, as well as praying, as well as renewing your mind and saying, I stand under the blessing of God, not under the curses of man. So can you see that it's both that? It's spiritual and practical. I just want, for all the right brain people in the room, I'm just giving you that so that you know there is an actual practical element to this as well. There's only one I am, and that's God. The God who said to Moses, I am your God. You are my holy nation. Who gets the final word in your life, church? Who gets it? Is it those who speak curses over your life or blessings? You can't stop curses, but you can choose whether you listen to them. You can choose whether they land. See, at the end of Moses' life, I love this. He stands out over the promised land. The promised land that because of the curses he chose to pursue, he couldn't enter. And he stood and he spoke to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy and he was reiterating and repeating all the laws and the blessings that God had for them because that's what Deuteronomy means, reiteration. It's a repeating of things. And he stands up and he says, Today I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey Him and remain faithful to Him. For He is your life. And He will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses said it so simply. We have blessings and curses before you. Which will you choose? Life or death? Choose life. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.